Blog Talk Radio. to the Eastern Airlines Radio Show's Thursday broadcast of the Repo Radio Hour, brought to you by the Eastern Airlines Radio Show and the Retired Eastern Pilots Association. We share the stories and memories of the pilots who flew the planes of the Karen Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. My name is Neil Holland, retired captain and producer of the show. We hope you will enjoy the stories we bring to you every Thursday at this time. And you will join in the conversation during the broadcast. You know, the following countries listened to our show last week. Australia, Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, Japan, China, India, Turkey, Ukraine, Slovakia, Czechoslovakia. It should be the Czech Republic, I guess. Germany, Denmark. Finland, France, United Kingdom, Ireland, Senegal, Brazil, Argentina, and Colombia, all listening to our episodes. Now, let's get the show in the air. REPA 23, you're cleared to start engines. Hey, You're cleared for takeoff. Right, uh, right. Uh, we're on the roll, and we're requesting a straight-out departure today. That's approved, Reaper 23. Thank you.
she's awkward. Um, not very friendly. Ah, uh, but she's too young. Oh, she's, uh, oh, she bites nails. She wears glasses. Uh, uh, honey, uh, no, no, the other, uh, oh, no. Oh, she's married. Well, uh, well. Eastern presents The Losers. Immature. 19 out of 20 girls we see never get to be an Eastern Airlines stewardess. They're probably good enough to get a job anywhere they want. But at Eastern, we're very choosy about whom we let serve you on a plane. It may make our job a lot harder, but it makes your flying a lot easier. We want everyone to fly. Oh, the girl with the glasses. Uh, no, the, uh, honey, uh, wait, uh, if you... Don, I love that commercial. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, Don, let me open your microphone. I see that I've, I've got you uh, off there, and let me turn your microphone on, and you're on the air now, Don. Well, that's good. Thank you, Neil, and good afternoon, everyone. And welcome to another exciting radio hour. Our stories range today from the sounds of the aircraft you just heard starting up, were simply stated from the male wings to the huge Lockheed L-1011 TriStar, a.k.a. the Whisper Liner. By the way, that was the beautiful sounds of four Curtis Wright Lockheed Constellation engines, probably on another successful Eastern Air Shuttle flight. As we like to tell our first-time listeners, you can listen in with your smartphone or go to our radio show provider at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Cap Betty at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Just click on the start arrow. Remember, it must be at 3 p.m. or you'll be given the message that the show has not yet begun. Better yet, why not do as many listeners do and just call into the show at 213-816-1611. This will put you on a producer's board, and all you have to do to share your comments or join in our discussion is to touch the number one on your smartphone's keyboard. That will tell the producer to unmute your phone's microphone, then just join in the fun. Now you can choose to talk or listen to any of our hosts. Now I'm going to head up to uh, Long Island, New York. Captain Mike Scott takes the controls. Are you there, Mikey? Yes, uh, Don, thanks. Uh, Now let's sit back and enjoy some great aviation stories. As our producer said, stories written by the pilots who flew the planes of Karen Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. Stories printed in uh, Repartee and other publications. Well, today we have a slight change. We're going to add some beauty to our stories. Eastern ladies can be just as good at telling stories as the guys, so we decided to tell some stories of our gals that our gals have written and published in, in, in REPA and other publications. And before we get started on that, I had a little side note here that uh, tomorrow, uh, September 11th, marks 19 years ago, where uh, aviation and over 3,000 3, lives were lost. We all went into the history books and changed the world forever. 
Now, Harry, how about telling our listeners uh, what we what they missed if they didn't hear our show last on last week's broadcast? Thank you, Captain Thank Mike. You, Captain we had a Mike. great we broadcast great last week. Last week, we had two we stories had two from weeks. our producer, Captain that Captain Neal had written and published in his book Wings of Many. The first, the flight bag, told the history of those mostly black bags you see being carried by the flight crews in the terminals. Most pilots referred to them as their brain bags, as they contained manuals, navigational charts, work rules, and even sometimes food among products uh, that were carried in the bag. Plus, I would venture to say there were lots of things that Captain Neal carried in his bag that weren't mentioned, as uh, some of the other guys probably did so too. But Captain Neal's next story was that of his first and only late trip check-in. And it's almost worth buying the book, The Wings of Many, just to read that story that uh, Captain Neal told. Um, But anyway, he had a slight distraction, to say the least. But in the end, it all worked out by his chief pilot telling him to get the hell out of his office. You'll want to listen to the archived episode 22 to learn the rest of the story. I wonder if that chief pilot was Paul Kelly. I remember him well. Captain Jim Holder, what's on today's program? Okay, Harry, we let the ladies do the storytelling today. I recall a story written by Captain Bill Malone titled, Ladies Can Be Funny, that was published in an issue of Repartee Magazine. And, yes, they can be very funny. I think we did that story in an earlier radio show. Now, our producer tells me that these short stories were written by flight attendants, pilots' wives, ladies in reservations, and other ladies of the Eastern family. They did not make the pages of repartee, but did make it into his book, Wings of Many. Now, hey, Mr. Producer, let's hear from the ladies. What you got? This story was sent in by Jean Leidenfrost. The title... Who's your daddy? After only three months of flying experience, the office asked if I would consider becoming a stewardess supervisor. Five years of dull office work preceded my last job at U.S. Rubber Research. Why would I ever give up this chance to explore the world? With that refusal, they asked if I would consider doing some publicity, like a career class for high school students. Well, okay, that might be fun, so I agreed. Arriving inbound for my flight with short notice, minimal rest, a uniform that needed dry cleaning, and an empty gas tank, I was handed an unfamiliar destination 100 miles away to be at the next morning. At daybreak, I grabbed two hard-boiled eggs and two therapeutic vitamins and set out to find Morristown, New Jersey, High School. At the high school, the director gave me their plan, girls in the morning, lunch at noon, and boys class in the afternoon. The girls were enthusiastic, full of questions and awe, which helped since I had no plan or brochure to distribute. The time zipped by. At the end of the class, one sweet young gal, beaming with smiles, said, My dad's an Eastern Airlines captain. Oh, who's your dad? She gave me his name, and I told her I had flown with him just about two weeks before. She added, my brother is in the next class. 
Lunch consisted of a salad and a delicious chicken rice casserole prepared by the culinary students. They deserved an A+. Now, bring on the boys. They looked so bored. It was a punishment to have to listen to a stewardess. So I wanted to get them talking instead of questioning about careers they were considering. Every career they mentioned had possible employment in the airlines. I apologize for that, but the rest of it did not take. So I'll have to read the rest of it toward the end of the show because it's very interesting, uh, the end of uh, Gene's story. But, uh, Mike, why don't you take over from here and let's see if I can get you back on. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Okay, yeah, uh, Captain Neal. Amazing how turns of events play out in people's lives, almost like a story out of Ripley's Believe It or Not. You know, if we only knew as crew members the folks we we know or have crossed paths with over our years, sitting in the seats of the aircraft we flew, that was great stories. That had great stories. Captain Jim, what's up next? Okay, Mike. Mike. Reaper's Treasurer. Captain Jerry Frost's wife, Marge. I know them well. Sit and tell a story about this next clip that we will hear titled The Captain and His Coffee. That sounds interesting, Mr. Priest. The Captain and His Coffee by Marge Frost In the mid-70s, when Jerry was a junior Eastern Airlines captain, he tended to get trips that had him up and out of the house very early in the morning. One morning, he had to rise and shine at 4.30 a.m., and upon emerging from his shower with a towel wrapped around him, he announced to me that he would like his coffee now. I politely told him that he was not God until he got on his airplane. He went to the kitchen, made his coffee, then dressed, and went off to fly his trip. Several months later, I had the privilege of riding along on a trip where Jerry was a captain. I had a comfortable first-class seat, got the warm smoked almonds, remember those, and a nice cocktail. About half an hour into the flight, the handsome young flight engineer approached me, asking if I was Mrs. Frost. Yes, I am, said I, beaming with pride. He presented me with a small tray, which held a cup of coffee, a sugar packet, cream, and a spoon. Then he smiled and said, I'm here to tell you that God wants his coffee now. That story was hell, has held such a happy memory for the both of us. Yeah. Wasn't that a nice, polite way of saying thank you? <laughs> I think all of us who sit in the left seat have had an illegal family member as guests in the cockpit, and I'm guilty of sin. I certainly did, and perhaps, Mr. Producer, if you have time after our stories today, we can share these FAA violations we risk and taken. Okay, Harry, what's up next? Well, Jim, I, I hope the statute of limitations is up on all you, all you guys for having that, those illegal yeah. family members up in the cockpit there. They won't come looking yeah. for you. But yeah. uh, anyway, th- this uh, next short story was written by another Harry, Harry Watkins. The title simply about June. Mr. Producer, tell us what Harry has to say about June. 
About June by Harry Watkins. I was working 4 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. shift in Atlanta reservations one evening. June Hatton took a phone call from an Army kid at the Greyhound bus station. He had gotten a ride from Columbus, Georgia, Fort Benning, to Atlanta and was trying to get a bus to Indianapolis to surprise his mom for Mother's Day. He learned that the bus travel time would put him there a little bit too late. Fortunately for him, he happened to reach June, and she listened to his story. He asked about flying on military standby, but she found out he didn't have enough money. June told him to wait outside the bus station, and we would be there about 12.40 after we got off work in about half an hour. I went with June and a few more people to pick up the kid. I'm sure he wondered what he was getting into, but trusted us. June drove to the airport, and we went inside. She paid the difference so he could get on the night coach around 3.15 a.m. to Indianapolis, and we stayed until he left. The flight was almost empty, so he got got home in time for Mother's Day. He'd gotten June's address to reimburse her for the part of the fare she paid. Later, she got a letter from the mother thanking her. June was such a wonderful, outgoing person. If you call Eastern with a problem, it became her problem. I I will always have fond memories of June and our time working together. It was never a dull moment with her around. It's what made Eastern great. Now we have two more stories. One was Selling Seats by Rosalind Rush, and another one is Pilots at the Pool by Alexa Conway. Let's listen. Selling Seats by Rosalind Rush. I started with the airline in 1959, hired when I was in college in Providence. I remember sitting at a round table in a dilapidated old building in downtown Providence with teletype machine and squawk box where we sold seats to Atlanta. It was amazing. The Electra was new, and I enjoyed flying back and forth to Florida on it. I still have the timetable for that era. The flight would go Boston, Providence, LaGuardia, Fort Lauderdale, then to Miami. Not long after I started, I heard on the squawk box that one of our flights was down in Boston Bay. They ran into birds on takeoff. That was horrifying. Providence was so small that we grew to know our customers, even in reservations. Then, not long, not too long afterwards, Eastern closed most of the reservation offices in the smaller cities and I believe kept only seven in the larger ones. I was not eligible to transfer to the field because of that time they only took men. So I flew to Idlewild, hired as a ground hostess. I married and transferred to Miami, and so the story continues. I have so many wonderful memories and so many stories. Strange voice. Another story, Pilots at the Pool, was written by my good friend Alexa Conway. 
I remember a summer layover in Houston. In summer, in the summer, you could count on the flight attendants heading down to the pool right away. Sometimes the pilots came along, sometimes not. However, Houston was a different case. The word had quickly spread amongst the pilots that Scandinavian Airlines laid over at the same hotel. The pilots were usually down there before the flight attendants on our crew. The reason was soon clear. The Scandinavian women would doff their bathing suit tops immediately to get a better tan. The flight attendants did not pay any attention. The pilots were there, cameras in hand, acting like little kids. It was funny. Boys just do always boys just do not always grow up. After several weeks of this, we all hit the pool and here they came. The interest and excitement was palpable. However, this time there was a family at the pool, kids splashing in the waiting pool. The father was not happy. He stormed into the hotel and lodged a complaint. In a few minutes, a young, fresh-faced boy who was possibly 19 came out. He would have preferred to be anywhere but there. He approached the women who ignored him. He finally explained haltingly that he could not allow them to sunbathe naked. Well, they were not naked and stood up to point that out. He died there, but somehow kept standing. He did not know where to look. The pilots were almost beside themselves with glee, cameras flashing. Guts in hand, the poor kids stammered that the women would have to put their tops back on. They were annoyed and showed it. They sighed, glared, and began putting on their tops. The young employee started back to the lobby, ducking soft drink cans, food taunts, and boos. The pilots were showing their dismay. They threw everything they could find at that poor kid. It was funny. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Don, our last story is titled Strange Voices, and it's by flight attendant Jill Cotton. Many stories are made about these voices, and even a couple of movies. And a book were made. You guessed it. Strange Voices by Joe Cotton. This is my story. It's all true. It started in the spring of 1975 when flying a trip sequence from Miami, Atlanta, Los Angeles, layover, returning the same way. It had been a couple of years since the L-1011 had crashed in the Everglades, but the stories were still circulating about the ghost on board. I'd been flying this plane for months now and never experienced an encounter and wasn't planning on it now. The first leg of the trip was the 0700 departure out of Miami and was a pass rider's dream. My headache was making sure I had enough meals for everyone since I was working galley position. I got all my meals and I was a happy camper. I loved working galley. We landed in Atlanta, and I immediately headed downstairs to make sure the caterer was putting everything in the right place. Now, mind you, I always stayed out of their way when they were on board. With all the carts, plastic bins, liquor kits, and regular trade carriers to come on board, it was a big job that had to get done in a timely manner. By just watching them, I could tell if things were right or not. After takeoff, I went back to the galley and began to work by sending up the necessary carts and for both first class and coach. Then I noticed 
I kept hearing voices every so often. I couldn't place them. By now, meals needed to get placed into the food cart, so I just kept working and still hearing the voices just ever so often. I finally called up to the flight attendants working in coach and asked if they had uh, or trying to get in touch with me, if they had been trying to get in touch with me. They, they're in the middle of the beverage service and don't even respond back. I finish up the carts, and now I'm waiting for the first-class sequel beverage carts to come downstairs. The first one comes down, and I pull it out, get in the lift, pull it out, uh, get in the lift, and go up to the passenger deck as quickly as I can before they can head back to the front and ask if they had been trying to reach me. No was all I got, and we're ready for our food carts now. I head back down and send up the carts. Still, I keep hearing voices, but just every once in a while. The service in both cabins is now in full swing, and there's no way I can bother anyone at this time to find out if they are trying to talk to me. Beside that, who else could it be, right? When I finally had an opportunity to leave the galley, again I headed for the cockpit. I unlock the door with my key and go in. The guys are busy, so I asked the engineer if they'd been trying to reach me in the galley. No, but if you're hearing voices, maybe one of the handsets is connected to the galley and that's what you're hearing. Good idea. I leave and check L1 and R1. There doesn't seem to be a problem. I head back to the galley, still very much upset by my situation without a solution at this time. Voices in the galley, not a good situation and all the stories. Coach service is in full operation, and I know they will need more food. Beside that, first-class dessert carts need to get, it, to get set up. Stripping the sequel carts and then setting them up for their next use is quite an intensive with all the china plates, silver service, and dessert time items. I have the large compartment bins that hold the trach areas open, redoing the linens, getting coffee cups and saucers, uh, saucers out of the plastic bins, and setting up each shelf from top to bottom. The voices are louder now. I know the crew is just above me because food carts are starting to come down to be exchanged for fresh, one, fresh ones. I know I'm not losing it, or am I? The first dessert card is done, now to set up the second one. I get the linen zone, next the liquor kit, the china service is set. All of a sudden, I hear a voice, I look up and see it. The caterer's walkie-talkie. By now, I'm laughing, and I had been so worried, I finished setting up the cart. I went back upstairs in the cockpit and told the guys my story. We all had a good laugh over it. Went back down and completed the service without another voice. By now, you have to understand, a person can get a lot of mileage out of a story like this, and I did. With the best poker face I could muster, I did. One flight, atten uh, flight engineer, Bob Abbott, a good friend, got so mad at me that I thought he was going to explode before I got to the punchline. But wait, that's not the end of the story. 
Years later, I was working a flight sequence 500-501, Miami-San Francisco in 1979. It was a cold and rainy night as we were leaving San Francisco, and of course I was working galley on the L-1011. Catering had already been on board and had finished loading, so I went to work to get the first items that would be needed for pre-departure setup or sent up. A small, timid catering supervisor came aboard through the side galley door to check my supplies and deliver my extra meals I might need. He seemed very nervous and apprehensive, even to be on board the plane. I asked if there was a problem. As he started to explain while continuing to check the supplies, he was, he was scared to death of voices on Eastern L-1011s. As he continued, I realized it was my tale of voices he was telling. I started smiling, trying not to laugh, but I couldn't help myself. In a very straight face, I told him that this was a fine airplane, that nothing was going to happen. Well, great stories. We have, uh, I have uh, three more that I'd like to include. They're very short. And uh, one is called Job Security, another Joan Crawford, and the final one titled Remembrances. Enjoy these stories by the ladies. Another story written by Fran Dowling. By the way, I met Fran Dowling over in Lakeland, Florida. She was a member and head of the EARA chapter there in Lake City. The story's titled Captain Eddie and Job Security. Eastern trained us to introduce ourselves to celebrities and high-profile people and ask if we could assist them. It was my second time to have Captain Eddie Wickenbacker on board a flight, and I had been kidding with him after he boarded our Boeing 720 in Miami. The flight was still at the gate when I mentioned to Captain Eddie to come back to coach if he didn't like the service in first class. After the meal service, I was in the galley, popping an olive into my mouth when I looked up to see him standing there with a smile on his face. I offered him olives, and he asked what I thought about my career with Eastern. While we were sharing olives, I said I was having so much fun, how thrilled and exciting I was to be flying. He said, well, as long as I'm with Eastern, you will be too. And this one, Joan Crawford. Now, here's a short one, the title, The Joan Crawford Experience. Remember Joan Crawford, the movie actress? The story was written by Fran Dowling. Starting my flight attendant career in 1962, I was working the coach cabin on a DC-8. After the meal service, I went to first class to get my crew meal. While in the first class galley, the captain rang for his steak dinner, and I took, it, I took one up to him. A few minutes went by, and the senior flight attendant asked me where Joan Crawford's steak was. So I had to explain to Miss Crawford that I made the mistake of giving her meal to the captain. Seeing my embarrassment and declining the alternative of chicken, Miss Crawford replied, Just don't give away my champagne. I took a bottle of champagne from the galley, put it in a bucket with ice, added a ribbon from my suitcase, and tied it around the neck of the bottle. Then I took a paper coffee cup, wrote 
reserved for J.C. and gave it to her. She laughed and asked if she could keep the paper cup. At that point, I wanted to give her the entire DC-8. <laughs> and our final story is called Remembrances. Our final story is titled Some Remembrances by Elva Libby. When travel again became available to civilians after World War II, I experienced my first flight as a passenger on a DC-3. I crouched in sheer terror with my eyes closed for the duration of the flight, vowing never again to board an airplane. The terror remained on tap. My eyes remained closed. However, I did go on to fly in many planes as a stewardess. I stopped crouching and managed to walk upright in the prescribed manner, wearing spectator pump shoes. The only time I regressed to my crouching position was when I fell in and out of the cockpit over the wing spar. The second prescribed manner was a squat, which had to master which I had to master to retain a semblance of proximity with the jump seat. The name was due to the ability to jump out from under the precariously perched victim. The next challenge was the hat, which repeatedly fell off because of hitting the ceiling. The solution was quite simple. One merely walked with bowed head. Many times necessity was mistaken for humility, for which I received rave reviews. I easily adjusted to walking with one hand on the overhead rack for balance. I can still do it today. You never forget good training. The airport identification symbols were difficult to memorize because they became confused with the table of elements. Three similar jugs on every flight were coffee, oxygen, and fire extinguisher. You had to exert extreme caution to avoid pouring a cup of oxygen or strapping on a mask of coffee. Viewing traffic lights through the open door to the streets below assured me that door closing had not been mastered. Automobile headlights were excellent guides for landing, especially where no other lights were available. In appreciation for lighting our landings, uh, lighting our landings, we often gave the auto owners a tour of the Lockheed Lodestar. They expressed awe by its size, its large size, and capacity of 14 passengers. We often used extension and step ladders for mounting and dismounting one's aircraft. On the smaller planes, there were no public address systems. One just shouted. When later exposed to the public address system on the larger planes, many stewardesses were wary. Some never adapted and continued to shout. Light rain outside always meant heavy rain inside the DC-3. It was like the C-46. The Lodestar were all tail draggers and assumed a steep angle when on the ground. Walking rear to front uphill was exhausting. Running downhill front to rear could be so exhilarating that you had to control your speed to prevent one from shooting out of the door. The DC-4 was the first level floored plane on the ground. We employed the following checklist to assure this attitude. Stewardess to agent, pole up. Agent to stewardess, pole up. 
Sturtis to captain, pulled up. The sophisticated equipment and profound checklist were indeed taxiing. With the advent of the DC-6s, two revolutionary items appeared, pressurization and a level standing plane sans pole. Additionally, the Convair, DC-6B, DC-7, and Super Constellations, in which I flew, contained these features. A new era had begun. In commemoration of my early years aloft, I bronzed my spectator pumps. <laughs> that last story came from a National Airlines flight attendant. Of course, Eastern didn't fly Lodestars. But uh, Lodestar, for those that never seen one, kind of was a pot-bellied uh, tricycle gear Beechcraft, a little bit larger though, if you remember the Lodestars. And National flew a lot of the Lodestars. But um, those are our stories, and uh, I thought they were very good and included in the book uh, Wings of Many. So yeah, any comments, are. folks? I think we had a few. Uh, Wanted to say anything? Excuse me. I'm sorry, Dorothy. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say they were very good. I really enjoyed listening to them. You know, uh, uh, when I worked in uh, Fort Lauderdale in the early 60s, uh, Mack Airlines had a uh, DC-4, and when they came in to the gate, we had to put that tail stand up, and leave it there until departure time when they had to crank up number three and four engines to stabilize the fuselage. Then we could take it off. And it didn't have a whole lot of clearance. I remember that. Now, can anyone tell me about the pole up? The pole up? The what? The flight attendant mentioned pole up from the ground crew to the uh, flight right. crew, pull up. Did. Do you remember he what that, that was all about? Times. The weight and balances. Uh, remember when when they started engines, sometimes you would get uh, weight and balance forms and so forth, and they were on a pole. In the conveyor, we'd do that. And, uh, uh, oh, yeah. Most all what all of the airplanes, pull up. That. Yeah. Yeah, remember that, Jim? Jim Holder, you? No, I was that? I was too young for all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, no, I, I can remember you coming in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I, I had I, a little I story about flight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, on the Electra, the Electra. They, they, I always had come always in and throw those things in my lap. I had to scan them and make sure that we had our CG right and the whole kit and caboodle. We're getting a lot okay. of uh, double talk here, Neil. Yeah, that's Live. Mike's uh, Mike's uh, microphone again. I'm gonna again. I'm gonna isolate uh, you, Dorothy. Let me call. Let me call back. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right, Mike. Go ahead. Do that. Uh, I remember we having uh, passengers in the uh, or yeah passengers in the jump seat and Jim. You mentioned that you had also, and I'm sure anyone flying the left seat uh, for very long 
had someone that was not supposed to be in the cockpit. And uh, you want to tell your story first, Jim? Yeah, it was my last flight. And uh, my son, who was a military pilot, uh, I had a, they let me pick my crew and pick my flight. And this is at ATA after Easter. And uh, I picked for Midway down to Fort Lauderdale. It was about a two-hour layover and back up. And uh, it was a full airplane, 177 going down, and it had two jump seats. And uh, Terry, uh, we weren't we weren't uh, married at that time. We later got married, uh, but she'd been my girlfriend for a long time, so I figured she needed to go on my last trip with me. And my son, <laughs> uh, being a military pilot, uh, Charlie Boswell was uh, on duty and the day before, and. I authorized him to ride a jump seat legally. So we were legal going down because Carrie didn't ride a jump seat going down. But coming back, uh, this a former Eastern pilot came out to ride a jump seat, but I told him that she's going to have to ride in Carrie's seat because she was going to be in a jump seat right behind me. And Michael was there too, and he videotaped everything. And uh, it's sort of funny that, Eastern guy was coming out to ride up to go to my retirement party that night in the grass bed. All the accommodations for three mature gentlemen. I'm sorry it wasn't. We lived great. And uh, and he was very surprised to find out it was my party and I was flying the airplane up. So <laughs> things, <laughs> by the time we got to up to Chicago, everybody was happy about everything. The flight attendants, we had a great flight and and uh, Joe, the guy that was going to ride a jump seat, got to sit back in the window seat that Carrie had. And Carrie uh, was no longer afraid of flying, or at least she claimed she was. Not anymore <laughs> because she got to see everything that was happening up there. And my son videoed the whole, videotaped the whole thing. So I look at that Very every good. now and then. And, and amazing how young I look back in those days. <laughs> I fall in love you get with that video out quite yeah. often, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you getting any uh, feedback Mike, now, Neil? No, Mike, you're doing fine. I want to tell this one story first before you go on, Mike. But you okay. cleared up the uh, you, you're, you cleared up the echo. I've told the story about my wife, my son, and my daughter all having traveled in the jump seat with me. And uh, but one of the most interesting jump seat travels was with Bob Silver, Captain Bob Silver. Uh, Jim, you remember him? Yes, um, I do. And Bob was a great guy. He had been retired for about four or five years and lived out in San Francisco. And he was going back to Miami, and I had a flight from San Francisco to Miami and uh, nonstop. And, and um, we had a full house and a jump seat ride in the 757. Of course, we only have one, had one jump seat in the 757. And uh, Full House and Bob was wanting to go back because he had a director's meeting of the Eastern Retired Foundation, Pilots Foundation, which he was the chairman of still after retirement. And Bob needed to get back to Miami for that uh, board meeting. And so I said, Bob, here's what we can do. Um, we can, uh, you can share the jump seat in the cockpit with the a jump seat rider who was also an Eastern pilot. And he said, well, how can we do that? You only have one jump seat. I said, well, one of you is going to have to be in the bathroom, and then we can take it turns about that uh, you can come and sit down, or either you can sit on your luggage 
in the in the uh, cockpit. And so that's what they did. Uh, the jump seat rider sat on his suitcase and Bob sat on the jump seat. So I had two jump seat riders, one on a jump seat and the other one on his luggage. <laughs> so, well, there's been many a pilot rode a flight attendant jump seat in the rear of the airplane, you know, and I was one of them one time. On a 757 uh, going to oh, yeah. Washington, I was chairman of the field board, and I had to get up there, and the airplane was full, so so the captain told me, well, just wander on back back. I was in civilian clothes, so it's the, the field board. We were in our uniforms and everything. So uh, he said, you wander on back there somewhere and find a seat and make yourself at home. <laughs> so I did. And, uh, of course, flight attendants sitting there, you know, they I told them I was decent pilot, and I watched FAA or anything like that and all that. So so I rode a jump seat all the way to Washington, sitting back there. Okay. Just watching. Okay, Mike, since your microphone is on and uh, now and no echo, what you got to say? Yeah, well, I'll get to my story in just a second, but you mentioned Bob Silver. I remember on, in in my maintenance days at Kennedy, they had a, a DC-8, which they had removed a whole bunch of the seats in first class. And yeah. Bob Silver was being interviewed by Mike Wallace about hijacking and all that stuff. Uh, so we were, they had all the lights and all the cameras going in there, and they had all kinds of sandwiches and stuff to drink and oh, eat. Wow. And a good way to spend the whole evening when we were on the clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Great guy. But anyway, uh, yeah, to get back to the thing with the, uh, the the flight attendants out by the pool. Yeah. Uh, in, in my operation back, I guess it was in the uh, either 1980 or 81, we, uh, we had a trip that was over to Nice, France, and we had this uh, – uh, we had flight attendants that used to uh, from Britannia Airways because we used to have them do some maintenance for our airplane and at Luton Airport in England. And we, we met the, the uh, chief flight stewardess that they had. And we, we ended up with a pool of flight attendants that used to, uh, that we used to use on a rotating basis. In this one trip, we happened to have this gal that came on one of two at, uh, she kind of, for those who remember Anita Ekberg, Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Looked just like Anita Ekberg, this gal. And, wow. Uh, so we were we were in Nice, and we were staying in that hotel uh, right on the Strip. And, it, you know, most of those hotels on the Strip, they have a tunnel that runs from the hotel underneath the roadway out to the beach. And you could get your, your uh, umbrellas and your beach chairs and all that stuff on the, uh, out on the beach. So this one gal after breakfast, she she said she wanted to go out to the lie in the sun and you know hit the beach and go in the water and all that stuff, but she didn't want to go out there by herself right away. And she was basically like half French and half uh, Italian. And I remember lying there when we we went out, and I was lying on my little uh, lounge chair, and I'm lying there, of course, looking like a beached whale. But anyway, I had my my aviators. Uh, Ray-Ban sunglasses on, and you're lying back, and you know how when you lie back and you, and you have your uh, your eyes closed, even with your sunglasses, you see red from it's like the blood in your eyelids. And <laughs> next thing you know, I hear this gal tell me, she says, uh, "Watch my stuff. I'm going to go in the water." So you know, being French and Italian descent, I didn't you know I didn't realize what she was wearing or anything else. But come to find out, when I opened my eyes, the only thing she had on was the, the gold chain around her neck. 
So <laughs> took me back for a second. <laughs> Mike, were you, were you wearing a thong? <laughs> not me. I was still in pretty good shape then, but I was not, uh, you know, I, did, I hadn't, didn't have the beer belly back then. The six-pack was on the inside rather than the outside. Very good. Oh. <laughs> uh, someday we need to have a R R plus rated show. Yeah, let's <laughs> we do can that. really get into some stuff, you know. You're bringing back some of my stories now. I mean, I'm reminding me. Well, we Harry, could go on, but it's, have yeah. the last word here before we go off. Uh, you, you have you got any uh, comments? Who are you talking to? Harry. Harry. I don't oh, think he's here. Um, no, it, it's just uh, I find most of your stories, I, I believe, about the pilots, about flying and their skills, but hanging around the pools and hotels watching the women, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> well, we remember it so well. It gets better and better the more we remember it. That's right. Yeah, they do. They Dale, sure I got do. a little blurb for you. All right, quickly. Uh, we're going to count the balance. Tuesday, this coming Tuesday at Jerry Frost's home at 10 o'clock uh, a Tuesday morning, and I guess by the afternoon, mid-afternoon, we'll know whether Reaper is going to continue or not. Okay. Well, you, will, will you, uh, let's see, that's next week? Yeah, next week. Tuesday the 16th, oh, okay. I think, and, and uh, it's a matter of curiosity, we had a ballot come in the other day. The deadline was the first, it? It's either the post office got lost, lost it, or whatever. But I couldn't believe it. We got another one at 266 ballots. Okay, well maybe we you can give us a report next Thursday. Yeah. Pardon? Maybe you can give us a report on next uh, Thursday's show. I'd be glad to. Okay, very good. Uh, Dorothy, have you got any comments or uh, anything happening you want to talk about? Well, I'd just like to mention our upcoming uh, programs. Uh, we have a great one that we have coming up on Monday. Uh, folks, you really need to keep in touch with us then because we're going to tell all about the Eastern Airlines family tree. So we're going to learn from the beginning with Karen all the way down till the end, and I'm sure you're going to be happy to hear it all. I know I will be looking forward to it. And then following, of course, we're going to have our regular music program with our Eastern history, and that will be on September 21st. And then, of course, our Hall of Fame is coming up, and that will be on September 28th, and we're going to honor uh, Eastern Airlines Captain John Halliburton. So be sure to tune in every single Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time so that you, too, can enjoy some of these programs that we have for you. Back to you, Neil. Don? Yeah, well, I see our, our background music is uh, playing, so we'll see you again next week, same time, when we continue our trip through the pages of Repartee, as printed in the magazine of the retired Eastern Pilot Association and other publications. And by the way, if you haven't visited our website, www.ealradioshow.com, 
you'll find many more great Eastern stories and memories. On behalf of all of our hosts and our producer, Captain Neil Holland, this is Don Gagnon saying so long, Eastern family. We love you, Eastern. Love you, Eastern. Thanks, guys. Thank you all. All righty. Good job. This was a good show. Lock me out of your mind and left me standing here behind Silver wings Shining in the sunlight Roaring engine Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you away Leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight Silver Shining in the sunlight Roaring engines Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you away And leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight Great show, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. See you Monday. See you Monday.